Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 5. It is Father's Day today, and uh, I do appreciate all of our fathers. Before I even get into this, I want to say that um, not everyone here this morning has a good memory of a father in their home. I understand that. Uh, I understand that there are some that when you think of father, it's very difficult for you to conjure up even the thought of the father that perhaps you had. Uh, And I want to say to you that God uh, has even verses of promise for you. Uh, But if you're here this morning, say, Pastor, I've completely failed as a father. I've messed up. And I want to say this, that you never, uh, it's never too late to start, never too late to begin fathering. Uh, And so I hope this morning that we won't just turn off the message because of A, it's already passed, or B, uh, you just don't even think about fathers because it was such a painful experience for you as a little boy or little girl. But I want to help you this morning on the prof- profiling a godly father and really help you this morning unpack some of these verses. And uh, I, know, I know you know this, that, that it's a crucial part of the component of the family. And when the family is messed up, it's usually connected to a delinquent father. And uh, we really want to uh, take some time and really dig into this. I know we are uh, going to be out of time, and it's, it's, we're going to be up against a clock, and to, to really unpack all this is not possible. But I do want to give you something to think about and something to leave here with this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 25, verse uh, 25, we'll just read here. It's an application to, again, uh, to uh, husbands and wives, uh, but there's a lot here uh, in regards to uh, of responsibility of fatherhood. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot uh, or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, and he that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. It is the word of the Lord. It is our final authority. I do pray that you guide us and bless and strengthen, Lord, those that are here today. I pray, God, for fathers this morning to embrace what they're going to hear today. I pray, God, that you would help us not to be, uh, Lord, uh, slow in hearing what we're going to hear. I pray we be quick to obey what we hear today. Rebuke us, change us, challenge us, Lord. I pray that you would arrest our attention. Change us, Lord, today. I pray we leave here different than we came in today. And Lord, if there's one that does not know where they're going to go, if they were to die, that they would get saved before it's eternally too late. They would accept Jesus Christ as the payment for their sin before they leave here. So guide us and bless in a very special way this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians 5 uh, is one of the letters, it's an epistle. It's, a, it's an epistle to the church of Ephesus. Uh, you can find epistles or letters to churches, uh, and, uh, and then you'll have a couple of them. Uh, for example, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are letters or epistles to pastors. Uh, very interesting that the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus that uh, really birthed the church of Rome uh, took out the 1st uh, the, the, the and 2 Timothy and Titus. Very interesting. Uh, which would be pastoral epistles, which would encourage independent pastors or independent churches. So that was removed from the Sinaiticus 
and the Vaticanus. It's a very interesting study on why that was done. I don't know why other than suspicious that uh, when you have pastors, you have, uh, you have people being fed the word of God. And, uh, and so Rome did not want that. But that's, that's a different lesson. Ephesians 5 is uh, a letter to the church of Ephesus. Well, when you get to chapter 5, uh, you have a lot of information there about the responsibility of, of, of husbands to a wife, of a wife to the husband, um, uh, from the masters or bosses, okay, employers to employees, employees to employers. Uh, it moves even into parents to children. And then when you get to chapter 6, uh, children to parents. And so I call it the relationship chapter, where it's dealing with relationships, responsibilities and relationships. And so unpacking all those verses, it really does give you my responsibility, you know, the children's responsibility, the wife's responsibility, one of many portions of Scripture that you can go to to really see the structure of the home. But when we get, we get into this passage here, we're dealing with a husband's relationship with his wife, but if we could just apply it also as a husband to a father's relationship to his family and understanding that the family ought to have a Christ-like father, uh, and as I mentioned, there's folks here this morning, and I know your testimonies, I know where you've come from, to, to even bring up the, the word father or talking about a father, you did not have a good example of a father. Now, that's not everyone. Uh, your father perhaps was not a gracious and godly father. Maybe yours was abusive. Yours was delinquent. Yours left a lot. Yours uh, was angry all the time. Yours was grumpy. Yours never helped you, never talked to you. And so just to conjure up the thought of a father and say, how... Can I understand the concept of father when I had such a poor example of a father? I understand that. And I understand there are some here this morning that had had good examples of father and uh, that were loving, that were caring, that were nurturing, and you miss them much today. Maybe some are already gone on into heaven. We think of Jane's father, uh, Mario, that's in heaven this morning uh, because he accepted Christ as Savior before he left this world. But I want to say this. When you look at the biblical family, I don't think any one of us could be uh, 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 ignorant to say that, that improving the spiritual condition should be, you understand this morning, a highest priority for us. In other words, we should not say, you know, it's not that important. For us this morning, a biblical challenge for all of us today is to, sp- is to take the spiritual condition of our families seriously. Uh, take the spiritual condition of our kids seriously. And I think probably one of the most challenging, most difficult institutions, the most sacred institution is the family. Uh, One of the three main institutions that God set up, family, church, and government. But the highest, most sacred institution of any country, any nation, any civilization is the family. You know this. I know this. But, you know, so goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the church, so goes the country. And so the family is of a high priority today in the spiritual condition of the family. And so the man in the family is, can I say it this way, with all the biblical backing as they make this statement, the man in the family is the key to the spiritual development of the family. Not to say that a husband that is delinquent in a family, that a wife that is trying to rear the kids to, to, to serve, the God, serve God, uh, that is trying to rear the children to, uh, to, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord can't do that. I understand that. But when you take the father out, it is much more difficult for a wife to be able to fill in for what he's not doing. Okay. There's a, and you say, let me say this too, guys, that as a father, you are going to answer to God for what you did with your family. 
Someone else is not going to answer. Your neighbor is not, your, fam, your, husband, your wife is not going to answer. You are going to answer to God for what you did with your home. Okay? Say, Pastor, can you prove that? Well, when God came to Adam in, in the garden after the fall, he did not come to Eve. He said, Adam, where are, now watch this, Adam and Eve both sinned and rebelled against God. Ad, uh, Eve being the first, Adam not even uh, being deceived, went into the transgression following his wife, saying essentially, I'd rather die with you than to live with God. And it was God that came to Adam to hold them responsible for what the family did, what the marriage did. I'll remind you of also Eli in the Old Testament, one of the priests in the Old Testament. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, these two boys were a mess. Uh, They made whoredom of the house of God. They were committing whoredom in the house of God. Eli knew about it. He did nothing to stop them, did nothing to restrain them. And God judged Eli for the actions of his kids. Now, you flip the coin on that thing. Unfortunately, the children have to bear the blunt of the consequences of delinquent fathers, spiritual delinquency of fathers. When you look at Saul, had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan, a good guy. Jonathan, I believe, was on, if you would, in, in his mind, on the right side. He knew David was the next king, but he died with his father Saul, following the consequences of his father's decisions. And so as you say, guys, like this, when you look at this, that the father's responsibility carries a huge generational consequence or a generational blessing. If you hold your finger in Ephesians 5, go to Psalm 78 quickly. And I haven't, I didn't turn there to the, in the next last hour, but I think it's good for us to look at this. Psalm 78, try to catch up with me on this. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Okay, that would be the word of God. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Okay, that would be very clearly an application to the Bible or to the word of God. You better listen, he says. Incline. What's that mean? You better, any deer hunter here this morning, you understand? You get a doe and you accidentally uh, drop your arrow, okay, and, on the aluminum frame of the bow, okay? And that clicking sound does something to the deer's ear. You all with me? And you're thinking, I just blew it. Okay, Uh, the buck just stands up. He looks around. He knows something's not right. His ears trying to find where the noise came from. You all with me this morning? Any deer hunter understands this. He's trying to understand. He's inclining his ear. He's trying to understand what what is a threat to me. You realize the word of God has the same kind of visual with our ears. Incline thine ear. It says in verse number two, incline incline thine your ears. Verse number one to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and are what? Fathers have told us. And so watch this. The word of God, okay, the testimonies of God were transferred from one generation to another generation through fathers. Fathers took the responsibility of making sure the kids knew what God says. Then it says in verse number four, we, okay, this generation will not hide them from their Children showing the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength. Before we even get to verse number five, we've already got three generations. We got a father telling the children, not hiding from their children the praises of God. Okay, we got three generations all conditioned on whether a father is going to be delinquent and transforming what God has said to the next generation. Then it says in verse number five, for he, God, established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, and he commanded our what? 
fathers, that they should make known to their children. So fathers, you have a responsibility. The weight falls on your shoulders to transfer for, to your children what God is and who God is to the next generation. Y'all with me this morning? So watch this. The success of your spiritual home rests squarely on the uh, shoulders of the father. I'm not discounting what the mother's and what the, uh, the wife's responsibility is. But the father is the key to making this work. However... If the father doesn't do what he's supposed to do, if you skip down in verse number, uh, let's see, verse, look at verse number six, that the generation to come might know them, know what? The the commandments of God, okay? Verse number five, uh, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget their works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, verse eight, and might not be as their what? Fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation. Can we just say this? That if you are a stubborn and rebellious father, okay, that delinquency, if you would, is also just as dangerous as the blessings of a father that does transfer the, the, uh, the works of God and the word of God to the next generation. So it rests squarely. If you fail, it's your fault. If the family fails, it's your fault. If the family succeeds, listen, that's a blessing that uh, connected right to your responsibility. Now catch this, guys, as you think about this, that uh, husbands, fathers this morning are under a severe attack. Why? Because Satan knows you take the father out, you take the family out the large majority of the families. And you take the family out, you take the church out, take the church out, you mess the country up. And we're in the tail end of a mess this morning because our fathers have failed to transfer what God said to the next generation. You think about this, husbands and fathers, we're being under, listen, fatherhood is being redefined by the media and by the spy, by culture, it's being redefined. Fathers today are being presented in media or in entertainment today as some kind of a deadbeat, lazy slob that sits and eats potato chips all night watching football. That's what the average father is being portrayed to our children of what the model father is. And the sophisticated woman comes home. She's the breadwinner. She's the one that's taking care of the family. That's not God's order. And so we're under an attack by redefining what the role of father is. And we're kind of, listen, we're in a mess today because we got everything all out of order. In addition to the redefinition of fatherhood, we also have through an attack of temptation to fathers, pornography, a temptation to fathers. Uh, alcohol abuse, substance abuse. And some of you knew a father. You had a father that was a drunkard or was substance abusing, uh, abusing substances and that directed uh, to you. And you understand what that is. They're under temptation of cutting corners in their business and lying and cheating. All these pressures. And I can, I can go on and on on how much is against the male, against the father this morning to ultimately destroy the home. So you understand that Satan has a bid for your kids. We're heartbroken when we see a child be, uh, be overcome by temptation. Heartbroken to see a child that runs to the far country, uh, according to uh, Luke 15, and just runs and that mess begins to uh, take a, a, a path to ruin their life. We're heartbroken to see that. And it's not a surprise because we understand Satan 
is doing everything he can to destroy the family. The feminist movement, the feminist movement, feminism is a religion. It's not a social organization. It is an ultimate religion. I don't have time to really pull all that together, but we have a gender crisis in our country. We have egalitarianism in our country. We're going to have uh, androgyny in our country. So the feminist movement have successfully sold America on the idea that there's no difference between a man and a woman, but they're wrong. There's massive differences. You go to a playground and you get teams on the playground. You get the girls, how they select their teams. And they're selecting who's going to be on their team by relationship. Oh, I like her. She's my best friend. Oh, I like it. Come on, my team. And then you have the guys. He's not looking for friendship. He's looking for the guy that can kick the ball out of the park. Okay? You all with me? And then when someone gets hurt on the field, oh, I'm so sorry. It's so painful. I can't believe you hurt your knee. Uh, the girl, the, the boys are dragging them off the field, and they're going on with the game. You all with me? They're different. Okay, when we go shopping, we go and get the thing and get out. Our wives don't do that. They're different. They, they, they touch, they smell, they look. Isn't this wonderful? Yeah. It's just different. I want to go to the gun counter, but there's no gun counters at Kohl's. Are y'all here? I want to look at ammunition or something like that. It's just different. We are different. We're wired different. Our brains are different. Our activities are different. How we speak are, are different. And so, so you look at this, there is a difference, and they're trying to blend the idea that there is no difference. That's androgyny. And it's the tail end of any civilization. I've been encouraged in recent years to really see if you would a pushback. Uh, to re- really get back to a biblical definition of manhood. But I want to say this, and I'm not trying to in any way discourage a single parent. I know there are some godly ladies that have had to rear their children without a father. Hats off to you. God bless you. And I will say, according to the Bible, God has and can bless you. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 68:5, He is, God says, I'm a father to the fatherless. God takes that up. God works that up. God will bring someone in to help with your child. And uh, I've, I've seen some godly mothers that have had to go on it by themselves because they've had either a delinquent father that stepped out of the home as, or is completely oblivious to their need of the spiritual condition of the home. Whatever it is, there is a promise to you. In fact, if you do not have even a father that's godly or a mother that's godly, The Bible also has a promise to you, especially if you're watching online. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. So you have promises. But do you understand, as you look at God's method here, and if a father is gone, he says, I'll be a father to the fatherless. If a father and mother are gone, I'll be a parent to the child. Y'all with me? You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to put pieces back together. Because the society is destroying the model by which he created us to, to really, as a civilization, to live. Fathers and mothers and children. And yet we have a crisis of manhood, a crisis of godly manhood in our country. And it's showing in its effects, this slow and agonizing death of a nation. My daughter is in a... The mill stream, sad. She came home, four of her peers in mill stream, she's in college, 
had a conversation around a break table. Four girls. I mentioned this on Wednesday night. Four different girls had a conversation about dads. My dad is on drugs. My dad is in jail. Third girl. I don't even know who my dad is. Fourth girl. My dad's in a can in the middle of the living room. He's dead. Four girls. Having a crisis of a lack of a father. Tragedy. And that can be retold over and over again. Ladies and gentlemen, when you look at this, what is then my question to the text? Back to Ephesians, if you would like to turn there. Ephesians 5. Can we ask the question to the Bible here? Okay. According to verse 25, according to verse 28, and according to verse 33, it is no question that the husband is to love. Are you all with me? Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your what? Wives. Only one person's reading? Okay. (laughs) You do have your Bibles, right? Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your what? There you go. Even as Christ also loved the church. Look at verse 28. So ought men to love their what? Wives. Now look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his what? Wife. Can we just say this? That the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us, dads, okay, a commandment to love. Specifically here, loving our wives. And so number one, as you say, ask the question, what is it to love my wife. And it says here uh, that a husband is to love his wife. We're to love the wives uh, in particular as himself. So the, com- the compares himself on, on how I want you to do this. Now, it's one thing to give a commandment. Then he layers over the commandment how you're going to do this. This is the kind of love I want you to have. Now, guys, listen, buckle your seatbelt, because when you get into this, it's like this is a big ticket item right here. Because in verse 25, Back there, it says, husbands, love your wives, comma, even as Christ also, what? Love the church. So so the comparing of the kind of love that you are to have to your wife is the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for his church. Now, we just skip right over verse 25 if we want to, guys, but that is a huge ticket right there. But we're told that we're to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And you think about men loving your wives like Jesus loves the church. And the natural question is this. Well, how did Jesus love the church? What is it? What kind of love did he have for the church? Well, we understand, number one, that he had a selfless love. He had a sacrificial love. He had a love that did not have a motive attached to it. I love you if. And God's love is never conditioned. For God so loved the world... That's con- it's not conditioned. He loves the entire world. It's not conditioned on if you're good or you're bad. The whole world gets God's love. The whole world doesn't get God's forgiveness. That's one way through Jesus Christ. But the whole world is, has access, according to the Bible here, to the love of God. He loves the whole world. He didn't choose some of the world to go to hell and some of the world to go to heaven. He wants everyone saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not conditioned. Love, God's love is not conditioned on our goodness and our our abilities. It's conditioned, really, it's really centered on his character. 
And so how did he love? He loved selflessly. He loved sacrificially. And he loved the church. And that sacrificial love, he's not trying to buy your love. He's not trying to buy your obedience. It's unconditional. And so loving your wife, loving even your children, is not something you just feel like doing. Guys, listen. Love is not a noun, it's a verb. It's an action. It's a decision. It's a conscious decision. Can I say it this way? It is a daily conscious decision that you make. I'm going to love my wife today. I am going to show my children sacrificial, selfless love today. I'm going to attempt by God's grace to treat them as Jesus treats his church. I'm going to attempt by God's grace to center my thoughts and my mind to decide to love my children. I think a problem this morning, we got this whole thing wrong. A lot of men think that the entire family is to sit at their beck and call. But they are the ones to be serving. They are the ones to serve. I was telling the early church this. We ought to be a people, ought to be men that are very gracious with our wives. Kind. Loving. Our words ought to be words to encourage our wife. Not in any way to hurt or discourage or deride. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God. Guys, you are going to, and I am going to answer for every idle word that we speak. Every time that you could have the opportunity to show grace and kindness to your wife, you decided to hurt her. Every time you had the opportunity to show grace and kindness to one of your children, you decided, as the Bible commands not, you decided to provoke them to wrath, provoke them to anger. And I would say this morning, as you look at this, man is, is told to love his family, love his wife, as Christ loved the church. The second kind of love that we're all to have, and I think all men should understand, say, okay, I don't... <laughs> What Jesus does here, what the Word of God does, it starts with level 102. Then it goes down to level, okay, you're not going to understand this, but let me give you something you can understand. Are you all here? You ever get to a class in college where you say, this is way over my head? You ever, ever have that? You ever have a, okay, just concept, you can't get it, and you're frustrated? Okay, that may be the case when you try to understand the love of Christ. Say, I'm, just, I'm supposed to love like Christ? My wife and my kids, as he, I don't understand that kind of, okay, so it makes it a little simpler. He goes to the next point in verse 28. It says, so, in case you didn't get that, so ought men to love their wives even as their own what? Now, we were up at Bass Pro Shop, me and Timothy and Elijah. We stopped in Rudolph, Ohio. I thought we had a nice little bike path there that we can just put the little kids on and let them ride around. No, that is a crazy, nutty, ultimate hills everywhere. And I, and I, I, I picked these up, no helmets, no nothing. These kids are riding up and down. They said, 
And I'm looking, I, I said, well, I got the phone out. I said, oh, this is fun. And I pulled this out, not how I expected. And my kids have no idea what they're doing on this. And we're talking about asphalt, okay? We're not talking about the rubber. And my wife, oh, that's kind of cute. I like that rubber. And I said, this, is, this is asphalt here. She goes, I can't watch it. Just turn me off. We only left with a little blood, not too bad. Head up to Bass Pro Shop. We look for fudge and there's no fudge. How do you have a Bass Pro Shop without fudge and ice cream? It was like walking into, it's like sacrilegious. So we left there and we saw five guys. I'm telling you what, listen guys, ladies, you understand? When guys have a stomach that is calling for a meal, don't get in their way. Watch it. What? The body needs what? Nourishment. French fries. Salty French fries. What I like about five guys, when you call a burger, it's a double cheeseburger. So you don't have to say double cheeseburger. It just comes that way. And it's meaty. Are you all with me? Grease, just gorgeous cheese. And me, Timothy, and Elijah just eating and having a man time going home. What were we doing? We were nourishing our bodies. Okay. So guys, listen. If you don't understand how to love your wife, do it this way. Love your wife as you love your own body. You take care of her. You all hear? You take care of her like you take care of yourself. You take care of her like you want to get that milkshake to just kind of finish off the cheeseburger. And the French fries. You take care of her as you finish nourishing. And it goes on to say, and I'm just kind of unpacking up way over time here. But it says here in verse 28, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh. You realize you don't have to talk a man into eating unless you're one of those crazy dieters and lunatics that just doesn't like food. I love food. I do. I do, man. My wife, I love food. I love everything. I can't say yes to everything, but I love everything that I eat. So you don't have to twist my arm and say, oh, you got to go get a cheeseburger. <laughs> I know, but somebody's got to do it. No, there's no fighting. I just get it done. Are you all here to this? That's what it's saying here. That so, you, so no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. So you shouldn't have to be forced. Listen, guys. You shouldn't be forced to love your wife. It ought, to be, it ought to be something you naturally want to do. That's what it's saying here. So in case, he says, in case you don't understand the kind of love uh, you should have, like Christ loves the church, how about this? The way you love your body, that's how I want you to love your wife. You take care of her. All right? So it goes on further. Look, if you would, hang it right there. Go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. It gets even more. How many are doing all right? First Peter 3. This is really not a preaching lesson. It's more of a teaching lesson, but I'm being taught. It's, this is good. First Peter 3, verse, people say, oh, pastor, you're really, you master all this. Listen, fatherhood is an ongoing school. I don't think anyone comes to the place where they mastered fatherhood. First Peter 3, verse number 7, likewise, ye husbands, okay, can I say it this way, and dads, fathers, Okay, dwell with them according to what? Knowledge. Can we stop here and say this, guys? Listen, again, 
what Hollywood and what media would like for you to believe that an ultimate father is, is the one that comes home, he sits down and he's lazy boy, he does nothing, he does no communicating other than, please get me a cup, uh, a cup of tea, uh, go get me some more popcorn, and sits and does nothing. A biblical father, a biblical husband is one that dwells with them according to knowledge. You know what that means, guys? Listen to this. It means comprehending what they say. That means you have to talk. And you have to listen. I don't like listening. I know. You realize God has to put this in there because we don't normally want to do this. You take two guys, you put them in a deer stand, two clicks apart, 2,000, military, 2,000 meters apart, all day long in the deer stand. They didn't even talk to each other. They haven't seen each other. And about nightfall, they come out, they meet each other on the old dusty road. They get back in a truck. Man, they feel, man, it was great. They felt, man, we just, we had a great day. We got closer together. They didn't say a word to each other. Can't do that with women. There's, there needs to be conversing. Dwell with Dwell with them according to knowledge. It's a comprehension. It means that the husband, can I say, the father is to do his best to understand the members of his family. Every member of your family is distinct. Every member of your family is different. Every person in the family requires special observation, special care. They may have the same parents, but the upbringing is totally different. They are totally different people. That means it's an amazing thing that the father is to be able to study his wife. Guys, you ought to know what your wife likes and what she doesn't like. You ought to know what your kids like and not like. You ought to know about your sons studying your daughters, making sure you know what what their strengths are that you're able to understand where they're weak and where they're vulnerable and have those difficult conversations. Honey, I think you're vulnerable here. If you don't get this fixed, this could be a bad thing. Studying their vulnerability. Each receives different correction. Each one receives praise differently. They discipline differently. And so there needs to be comprehension. There needs to be a time where you come together and you talk and you comprehend and you listen. This is biblical. And then it says here to give honor unto the wife. Give honor, can I say it this way, to your kids. Honor means just simply to esteem, to, to pay worth, to, to have courtesy. Every member of your family needs honor. They need to, listen, they're little people. They're little people. We need to be very careful with our little people. They're little people that grow up to be big people, to be fathers and husbands and wives and pastors and ministers and missionaries and workers and laborers. As a father and a husband, we are to treat our family members with courtesy. It's an amazing thing sometimes that guests come and we turn on the, the guest mode. Ho! Oh! And they see an entirely different dad when there's visitors. But the last one out the door, dad goes back to himself. When's the last time you said good morning to your kids? Now, I have some kids that are not morning people. When you say good morning to them, it's more of a mumble back. 
Translated, I'm not ready yet to talk. What do you want for breakfast? So about an hour after they get up, they're starting to converse, and they're actually speaking English. But there needs to be, how about good morning? How about, hey, good night? How about I love you? How about you're awesome? You're awesome, man. You're an awesome daughter. You're an awesome son. How about a thank you? How about a you're welcome? You're welcome. How about a compliment when they do something right? How many times we are so good at always picking on everything they do wrong? And rarely do we say anything right when they do something right. I'm talking to you this morning. I'm talking to myself this morning. Compliment them. Being heirs together, the Bible says in this verse, being heirs together of the grace of life. There ought to be a measure of grace in our family. There ought to be a measure of nurturing in our family. So point number one, and just kind of skipping over a lot of material here. Number one, guys, love your family. The profile of a godly father is one that loves. Loves like Christ. Loves like he loves his own body. He dwells with his family, according to knowledge. He's comprehending. He's studying. He's looking for ways to help. He's courteous. Number two, a godly father will lead his family. Lead his family. I'm not going to ask you to to unpack all this, but Ephesians 5.20 and verse 22, there's there's a sense in which there's a order that God has. In verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Ladies, you don't have to submit to someone else's husband. You submit to your own, personal pronoun, your own husband. Why is that? Because God has given him the authority over the home. Now, she is not a doormat. She is not a doormat. She is not someone you are tyranny to. In fact, the profile of a godly man will lift her up. I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. Lift her up, not hurt her. Now, the man has the hardest role in the family because he is going to answer to God for what he has done. He, it's the man's responsibility to yield himself to Jesus Christ. It is why every man needs to accept Jesus Christ as a Savior, and every man this morning needs to take active role in making sure his kids hear the Word of God. Active role. Okay? Every night we do have devotions with the two young kids, Elijah and Timothy, and we've been doing this for a couple of years, and we've enjoyed it. We go through all kinds of things, different ways that we do it. And guys, listen, it may be a uh, challenge for you. Say, Pastor, I don't even know how to have devotions. What is a devotion? It's basically you're unpacking a spiritual truth. You're having some time, but you're conveying to them a spiritual truth, and you're asking, telling them about the Bible, and you're giving. There's different ways that you can do it. I've recommended different ways. I've, in the last couple of years, we've done all kinds of things. We, we look forward to our time together. We recommend a little bit of uh, Ed Dunlap's The Chronicle of Terrestria. That's kind of a little interesting thing, and, and you can apply a spiritual truth from there. Uh, this one right here, you can see how wore out it is. We, we've gone through this. It's not for everyone, but we go through a, a, an illustrated Bible uh, where we can go through the Bible. It's, this is from uh, Kingstone. This is volume three. They have three volumes. It would take you about a year to go through all three volumes, guys, if you do one a night. A night. It is a tremendous time, and they're going to see visuals, especially younger kids, on learning concepts. 
When you get to the book of Job, I would say, pass over that one. It was too heavy. It was way too heavy. Say, wow. But there's some very good material uh, there. That's why every man needs to be totally dedicated to the spiritual welfare of his kids. Okay? Lastly, marriage, fatherhood is a very difficult, difficult school. In addition to loving your family and leading your family, there's the idea, guys, of lifting your family. John 17, 20 talks about Jesus' prayer, not only for his disciples, but all those who should come after them, that would be us. Do you realize Jesus prays for you? He lifts you up in prayer. The Bible talks about the heritage. The Bible says in Psalm 127, what I'm about to say is of utmost importance. Everything we've said is important because it's the Bible. But this is something, guys, please pay attention to this. We're almost done. We'll be out of here in just less than, well, I'll be finished in six minutes. How's that sound? I will try to be done in six minutes. Psalm 127 says this. Listen to this. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. Heritage. I was standing at my great-great-grandfather's funeral, or, or, or um, funeral, uh, graveside, in, uh, in Maryland uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually about a month ago. And I thought to myself, my grandfather and my great-grandfather, Reagan, most likely stood here burying my great-great-grandfather. Now, my great-great-grandfather, David Shepard, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D, very distinct spelling of the name, never knew me, didn't know who I was, But he lived for about 65 years, died, and he left my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and me. And now, of course, I have my kids. You realize I am his heritage. The word heritage, interestingly, is in the Bible. The Bible says, lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. The Bible also talks about us being God's heritage. What does that mean? Simply, the word heritage out of the 1828 dictionary, one of the oldest English dictionaries you can get to understand, unpack these words, what is heritage? He, uh, Noah Webster, defines it by going to Scott's Law. Here's what he says. Scott's Law, it's sometimes, a heritage, sometimes signifies immovable estates in distinction from movable. So what does that mean? A heritage is something that can never be changed. So in other words, I can never stop being my dad's son. I can never stop being my grandfather's son. Someone else, for example, may have reared me, but that did not happen. But I'd still be there. That's why people that are orphaned or they're, they always want to know where they come from. Who is my father? Who is my mother? Watch this, ladies and gentlemen, that the heritage that you're given is given to you by God. It can never be changed. It's yours. That is your child, that is your grandchild, that is your great-grandchild, and so on. And so when you look at the idea and the concept of heritage and God's heritage and children are a heritage of the Lord and the biblical responsibility of the Father is to then lift up his heritage, pray for his heritage, pray that God would touch their hearts, pray for his kids, pray for their faith. When's the last time we sat down and prayed for the faith of our kids? And yet Jesus prayed for Peter's faith. All of our kids go through rough patches. All of them. All of them go through difficult times. 
times of temptation, times of darkness. All of them. The parents, listen, it's never too late to start godly parenting. Dads, listen, never too late to be a godly father. Pray for their faith. Praying for their health, praying for their friendships, praying for their future, praying for their future spouse. I'm praying for my kid's future spouse. Why? Well, or three of them are going to take the girls, amen, and start their families with my daughters. Start their hair, continue their heritage through my daughters. There's going to be three guys going to come down this altar, Lord willing, and I'm going to be right here, and I'm going to be looking them in the face, and I'm going to be doing their, their wedding, but I'm going to be doing this guy's funeral if he does anything to my daughter. Amen. Are you all here? Marv, I'm telling you. And he's going to take his hand, and he's going to take my daughter's hand, and he's going to go that way, and I'm going to go that way. I'm looking at the whole time. Okay? I'm going to come right here. And we're going to transfer everything that I taught them to the authority that he has. Wow. I want my sons to take the hands of another lady and be a good godly father to her children, his children, praying for their future spouse, praying for their character, praying for their safety, praying for the joy and peace, pray for their desire, for the things that matter, pray for the things that really matter in their life. And it's not the almighty, which is a very blasphemous statement, it's not the almighty dollar. That's so blasphemous to state that. There's only one almighty, you understand that? God almighty, not almighty dollar. So blasphemous. And yet, we have been fed this whole idea that we just got to teach them to be successful. And successful is measured by the things you can gather in this lifetime and then give it to some auctioneer. Auction everything off when you die. It doesn't matter. What does matter is that they love God and they serve God. And that they're saved. And it doesn't, guys, stop just at salvation. We're almost done. I still got one minute. Well, they're saved. That's it. It's done. Finished. I finished. I'm done. No. It's more than that. Salvation, growth, sanctification, service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? It's your heritage. More than that, it's God's heritage. So, guys, listen. And, again, this is the guys. Love your husband. (laughs) That's going to go out. If you, listen, if you soundbite me, man, I am a mess. Love your wife. Love your children. Love your children. Lead them. Lift them. Lifting them. Working with them. I'll say this, that there is not a more sacred institution than the family. Not a more sacred institution. The Bible very clearly says, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The education of the minds and the morals are your responsibility. I wanted you to just think about what God has given you. Guys, just take into the guys right now. Think about what you have. They're yours. They're not someone else's. They're yours. And as you think about what God has given you, can you embrace the responsibility of, number one, loving them, of, number two, leading them, 
And number three, lifting them. Can you, re- can you just hold that and embrace that as your responsibility?